Welcome to Yeah, But the Podcast. I'm Vivian Gabor, and I get to sit down with the inimitable Chicago's own Faye Ludes, everyone. Welcome. Oh, hi. (laughs) Hello, hello. (laughs) How are you doing on this fine day? I mean, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, (laughs) so I'm about as good as you can be in this yeah. time yeah. yes we're in the middle of quarantine we just like new york was just hit by tropical storm isaias yesterday <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and by Lord. tropical storm i mean one garbage can rolled down the street <laughs> in the that's morning. a normal day in new york <laughs> Basically. that's that's a that's a slow day in new york only usually it's not the wind doing that it's someone inside yes. the garbage can rolling around I heard there was a tropical storm Faye. Like everyone was telling me, like, oh, you're attacking, you're attacking. And I was like, probably. (laughs) That must have been a couple weeks ago. I I think so, yeah. I'm so bad at following the news right now. It's so overwhelming that I just kind of shove it to the side. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a certain amount of responsibility we have to be conscious, like, citizens, but Mm -hmm. we also have to protect our mental health. So, oh, yeah. For me, it's like, I'm not watching these COVID updates. Like, I don't want to know. Like, I know it's bad. And so I'm acting as though it's terrible. And then if yep. I get some good news, great. Yeah, exactly. I only leave my apartment right now. Like, everyone's out, like, doing all these things. And I'm, like, only leaving my apartment to go to the grocery store, basically. And it's too hot to even go on walks right now. So, like... Mm. So I'm funny because I won't go into grocery stores, but I am performing once a week. (laughs) So I, you know, I don't know. But at the same time, you're not going into a building to perform. No, we are performing outdoors on a 90 degree patio and almost dying. (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. Yeah, everyone loves sweating and drag. Yes, it's my favorite. Um, so those, for those who are listening who don't necessarily know you, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, that kind of a thing. First of all, where have you been? Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> I love, I have this thing where I love being like faux conceited. Like Faye allows me <laughs> to be very conceited, but you know, the person behind Faye is actually like a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. A, t- a tragic mess. Um, so Faludes is, um, a, I call her a psychedelic bimbo clown. Um, (laughs) she is a drag persona that I took on about three and a half years ago. Um, she's taken me all around the world. Uh, I primarily work at the Hamburger Mary's in Chicago where I host a ton of shows. Um, but I'm also very fond of traveling. So um you know Faye's been to the UK three times and 
has yeah has uh done you know prides and other you know uh, gigs in the south and in the pacific northwest and you know anywhere i guess it wasn't the pacific northwest what the fuck is denver uh, it's like it, 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 i think we technically consider colorado part of the southwest but it's not it's oh. like somewhere in between the pacific northwest doesn't claim it and the southwest doesn't yeah claim it, so who knows okay sure <laughs> um i know i said that and then i was like no that's washington and oregon <laughs> like, washington what? oregon idaho oh, sometimes idaho. parts of montana are considered pacific northwest part of canada okay. alaska yeah that's where I'm from. I'm from Seattle originally. Yeah, and I've spent. I'm from San Francisco originally. The San, well, the San Francisco Bay Area. Come on, um, Bay Area. So, yeah. So I've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest because mm. when you're living in San Francisco and you're poor, that's one of the only <laughs> places besides LA you can afford to vacation. Oh yeah. Oh, my family <laughs> used to drive down to California like every other year or so because it was like the one thing we could do. Yeah, I had. I remember my family driving us to Bend, Oregon for a family reunion. And I, I mean, I was like a teenager. I was just impressed about a uh, lack of sales tax. <laughs> oh, so cool. I love it. I had never been to a Fred Meyer and I thought it was the coolest place on earth. I, I was just like, what? This is it's everything. one of the things I miss the most about Seattle is Fred Meyer. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not alone in that because when I came back to California and told people about it, they were like, I don't get it. And I'm like, I mean, no, it's, it's basically like a, like a grocery store. Yeah. And clothing. I remember buying these like checkered tights and like, they were like, I don't know, like $8 and I get to the register and they're like $8. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean $8? They're like, $8. I'm like, no tax, no, you know, California's got mm-hmm. such high tax. I'm expecting to pay like ten seventy five or some bullshit. Yeah. So I was just like, this is amazing. Which oh yeah. Is ridiculous. But I was sixteen, so you know. <laughs> well, my sister and I both played stringed instruments growing up. I played the cello, yeah. she played the violin. Um, and we when it came time for us to like buy instruments, we actually drove down to Oregon just so we could buy them without sales tax. That makes so much sense. I think people in Chicago do that when they buy cars. Mm. Like, I I feel like there's a lot of large purchases that people, I want to say people do that at like Apple stores a little bit too, where it's like, okay, this is a big ass purchase. We're getting into the thousands. So we got to see if we can reduce this tax, you know? Exactly. So funny. But then it's like, when you calculate the gas and all that, was it really a thing? Who knows? <laughs> you know, I'm just tell like, ourselves oh, that it's a thing. <laughs> you know, you save fifty dollars, but baby, time is money. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, time is money, gas free. is money. <laughs> yeah, like tax free, sure, but like one percent less in tax, <laughs> like you're a fool. <laughs> I mean, on top of that, I used to work in the malls in the Seattle area. I worked in a couple mm. of them. And most of our clientele were people that would come down from Vancouver, BC, because things were cheaper to buy in the Seattle area than they were up in Canada. Okay, so you've definitely taken that boat to Victoria or... Oh, the Clipper? I love the Clipper. Okay, I call it the Vomit Comet, personally. (laughs) Um, One of the times I took it, I was just watching people puke 
everywhere oh, all no. around me. Everybody was vomiting. It was crazy. And I don't like get nauseous from things like that. But even I was like, ooh, bitch, this is rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first time, the first time I wrote on it, so the the fun thing about the clipper is it goes into international waters for most of the trip. Yeah. It's only like an hour trip, but it's mostly yeah. in international waters. And the drinking age is 18 in international waters. Oh, girl. So, like, so the first time I went, I wasn't 18 yet. But the second time I was. And so we all got the champagne <laughs> breakfast on the boat. <laughs> yes. That's like, so much fun. like kids in L.A., they go to Mexico. Uh-huh, exactly. Like, Tijuana is not far from San Diego. I remember mm-hmm. being maybe 19, and I was at a backyard party in San Diego, which is, like, far from San Francisco, obviously, but I used to go yeah. to L.A. area a lot. So I was in San Diego, and we were like, let's go. Let's go to Tijuana. <laughs> and, like, we – there were probably, like, 12 of us, 8 to 12 of us. I think the youngest was, like, 16. And then I was just like – you know what? No, no, we're going to get arrested. Like, this is a terrible (laughs) idea. Like, we're all a bunch of, like, rowdy assholes. Like, rowdy punk rockers rolling into fucking Tijuana is a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard some horror stories. (laughs) Oh, they absolutely look for people who are clearly tourists and they're like, yes, cha-ching. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, I maybe like, you know, I like having fun. I do some wild shit, but I'm still a triple earth sign. So I can't Bang. do this. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't do this. So yeah. So triple earth sign, what, what signs? Whew, Capricorn sun, Capricorn moon, Virgo rising. Oh my gosh. <laughs> People look at my chart and they're like, what? the fuck and i'm like same question (laughs) i've been asking you that my whole life yeah like it's a lot but i also think it explains a lot of the success i've had i you know i know that's weird to say but like i'm a go-getter when i decide i'm gonna do something i'm like Mm. bitch it's getting done yeah. So, like, I was a full-time drag queen within, like, a year and a half, two years. Like, yeah, I was like, I do drag. It's what I do. So <laughs> I just, like, really went for it and, you know, fully immersed myself in it, which we are all prone to do because how do you escape it? But um, it pulls you in real fast. Oh my god, ruin ruins relationships. Like, <laughs> oh, come on, I lost a three year relationship over drag, and you know what? I still choose drag. But you know, <laughs> it's it's uh it's interesting finding people who understand mm. your lifestyle. You know, it's a lifestyle. It's supposed to be a job, but it's not. Or it's supposed to be just creating art, but it's not. It's, yeah. You know, it takes over your life. Mm-hmm. And, like, finding people who understand that is difficult. Oh, yeah. When you're in a relationship with a drag artist, it's you're not in a relationship with one person. You're in a relationship with two people and two wardrobes. Oh, my God. My <laughs> ex would always be like, I did not sign up to date Faye. <laughs> you know? I'd be like, well. 
It's okay. <laughs> neither did neither did we. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like I didn't. You know, the last relationship I was in, I wasn't doing drag when we got together. I started mm-hmm. like six months after. I, I think about six months after we got together. Um, you know, and for the first six months, it was fine. Uh, and then when it really started picking up, it was like, well, this is my life now. <laughs> yeah. When the reality of it sets in. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go perform like in the UK for two weeks. Like, wait, what? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Bye. Um, so yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm not giving it up anytime soon. I'm going to go. Well, I guess one thing that I need to note is, uh, Part of what I I always tell people is I'm old. Like, You're not that old. I, no, but Don't I started even. drag. No, but here's the thing. I started drag at 36 years old. In gay years, 36 <laughs> is dead. Like 36 <laughs> is washed up. So, I mean, I still stand by it, but like I turned 40 in five months and i love to dance and like do a little bit of stunting nothing too crazy and my body is like hey (laughs) could you fucking stop that please (laughs) like you don't need to be jumping into the splits all the time yeah (laughs) and i'm like but that's when the big money comes out (laughs) like you know the capricorn in me is like get those coins so <laughs> that's one of the reasons I love all this digital drag because I'm like, yes, now I can do all of my ballads and it yeah. works. And it- <laughs> so I'm gonna be controversial here. Uh oh. I hate digital drag. Why is that? So okay, I like consuming it, <laughs> I, but I can't. Okay, I live alone. So for me, drag for me has always been an outlet and a lot of it let let's let's go there a lot of it is validation based a lot of it is my dad doesn't love me but these people do (laughs) you know i mean yeah i fully understand that yeah like i'm very i'm very you know open with these things you know so um not having that in-person energy Mm. is really hard for me and when i when i have done videos um, I don't love the process of getting in drag. I love being in drag. Um, I'm not someone, I was a makeup artist for years and years. So like, I'm not excited to paint my face cause I've been painting other people's faces and my own face for like a trillion fucking years. <laughs> so for me doing makeup is like a means to an end, you know? Yeah. So when you take away that human interaction um it just it doesn't work for me like i get in my drag i start filming and i just get really fucking depressed it just like magnifies how alone i am for me Mm. you know and i wish it was different because i have a lot of fantastic ideas and i even have things that i started and just couldn't couldn't like finish them you know but so much of drag for me is community and social interaction that when you remove that from it, I don't find it satisfying. I don't find it gratifying. And so for my own mental health, I just was like, you know what? I need to just step back and, you know, maybe at some point I'll want to do some digital drag, but like so far it just hasn't been my thing. 
I mean, that makes total sense. I think the only reason it's worked in any way for me, and I haven't done a lot. I've only done a few things. Um, yeah. But I think the only reason it's worked in any way for me is because when I started drag, I was living in Missoula, Montana, living Ooh. in a, like a basement of a house for $400 a month. Like, take me back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And But there was no queer community in Missoula. There was no yeah. gay bar. There was no nothing. I only knew about it because of Drag Race. And so I was sitting in my basement uh-huh. doing two faces of make makeup a day and like, taking pictures and doing weird little lip sync videos with whatever yeah. whatever she was I a could bedroom do. queen. Exactly. And so to me it, it it's taking me back to that place and reminding me yeah. of just like um I think I'm almost the opposite with drag and yeah. I love I love the getting into drag. I actually hate being in drag. Like <laughs> anyone who's ever done a show with me makes fun of me and and knows that as soon as I'm done performing, the shoes are off, the hair is off, the outfit's off. I'm I'm uncinched. <laughs> I will keep that makeup on all night because I feel special and I love the makeup. Yes, 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 yeah. And I will I will bar hop in the makeup, but I will be full like gut out legs out everything just like <laughs> relaxed wearing a t-shirt and jeans for the rest of the night oh i feel that i mean there's a whole lot of times where you will see me in like a pair of overalls and like a cut up punk t-shirt and a full face of makeup oh yeah like, <laughs> um that's me like traveling to and from the gig like i'm very much like i i you know iPad. So, okay. So, obviously, y'all can probably clock from my voice that I was assigned female at birth. Um, I am a non-binary trans person. Um, So, but I do pad and I cinch and, like, you know, I I really go there with my drag. Like, I've never personally been someone who used, like, the body I was born with or anything like that. Like, for me, I like to serve like full illusion for what I consider full illusion for me. Mm-hmm. I obviously think everybody should do what makes them comfortable and confident, you know? Yeah. So I'm padded. I got giant butt pads. I got hip pads. <laughs> I got two push up bras and, you know, a waist cincher and all that stuff. The minute I can get out of those, they can fucking go. I, oh, I yeah. feel cute, but I'm uncomfortable. Oh, it yeah. is, I mean, no one's comfortable in drag unless you're one of those fucking, okay, not, this is not meant to be a negative. Unless you're <laughs> like a, tw- a twink in like a slinky dress and no pads and like bare legs. They're, oh, probably, the they're probably pretty comfortable, <laughs> but like, I'm not comfortable in drag. Mm-mm. People always, uh, I've, I've had a lot of comments like during the winter when I'm in drag, it shows like, I'll go and stand outside when it's freezing cold out. Uh-huh. In, in, like, basically what looks to the world like the slinkiest, tiniest outfit that shouldn't be yeah. giving me any warmth. And they're like, how are you not freezing your ass off? And I'm like, well, I'm wearing four pairs of tights. I'm wearing a steel bone yep. corset, three cinchers, and a bra, yep. and some pads in the bra, and a wig. And I'm boiling hot right now, even though it's 20 degrees outside. Yeah, <laughs> it is one of my favorite things about, like, cold weather drag is like finishing your number and then just walking outside and having that (laughs) cold breeze hit you and you're just like oh "Oh my god yes yeah because this i mean this summer drag especially now that Mm -hmm. we have to be outdoors 
you know, at least when you were indoors in the past, it's like, you know, you're in an air conditioned club or yeah. I, almost a, I almost said apartment. Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, I met, I Quarantine is getting to you. It really is. It really is. Um, but you know, you're at least in like a semi air conditioned building, yeah. but now we're just fully outside. Um, so the city of Chicago allowed us to take over the actual street. Oh, wow. So we now have a patio on this side street that we split with another restaurant. And that patio is probably like 40 or 50 feet long. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And because we space our tables, the minimum is six feet and we do like seven to eight feet between each table. Yeah. So it's 90 degrees. It's over 75% humidity. You're in drag, and then you're just walking down this 40-foot patio no, trying thank you. to get people's attention, <laughs> but not so much attention where they try to touch you, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah, we collect our tips in fishing nets. Oh, my God. I love that. We do not touch people. Like, that is not the tea. So... I mean, yeah. I don't even like touching people collecting tips. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Um, it was an adjustment at first because, like... You know, like when you do drag, there is that kind of flirty mm-hmm. thing that you kind of do where you, oh, yeah. you might like hip check a, an uncomfortable straight man or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I had to like stop myself at times and be like, I mean, obviously consent is major and I'm not trying to just like touch people. Yeah, but yeah. just even some of my like little flirty things I do, I was like, oh, can't do that. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely an adjustment. And we're performing on in the middle of the street on fucking concrete. So like our shoes are getting fucked up. Like it's They should be paying you extra to buy new shoes every couple weeks. Don't even get me started. (laughs) Uh, Don't even get me started because the tips are very hit and miss too. Wow, I'm just going in with the complaints. Whatever. Whatever. Um, (laughs) But um, you know, Chicago is a major city and the space for patios is pretty limited. So we get a Mm -hmm. lot of people who are there for the patio and not there for the show. So Mm -hmm. you will be dancing your ass off next to their table and they are literally staring into their phone. Like you're not there. Oh, I've definitely performed in places like that. Yeah. It can be so dehumanizing (sighs) because I'm used to indoor drag at Mary's where every single person is like living their best life. And they're Mm -hmm. like, take my money. Oh, yeah. Well, and especially if you're sharing the patio with another restaurant, like, I would feel like if someone went to Hamburger Mary's to eat, they would kind of assume something like that would be happening. But if you went to another restaurant, I can see how that would be. Yeah, the other restaurant's getting a free show. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they do try to tip. You know, the fucked up thing is sometimes their patio is more into it than ours, and we're not allowed to go (laughs) over to their patio. So I see them dancing and waving tips around, and I'm, like, waiting for their servers to turn their back so I can stick my fishing net over the fence and be like, yo, get that money. So, yeah, like, drag in quarantine is so fucking weird it's very weird oh my god i'm just i mean honestly if i was getting unemployment if i had received any of those government benefits Mm. i would probably not be doing it that's fair you know i'm doing it for survival not you know like don't get me wrong i still love it but the bottom line is like i have zero income and i've only had 
one stimulus check over the last five months and you know I got rent to pay so um it's I I just really hope that it doesn't taint drag for me because I find that anytime something that's a passion becomes your job and that job becomes grueling in any way because you know jobs often do it takes the magic out of it so yeah I'm just trying to be conscious of that and just do what I need to do to survive right now. And, you know, hopefully in 2021, I'll be, I don't know, living in an RV, touring all over the U.S. doing shows. So, oh, my God. That sounds amazing. This has just been like my plan for so boat. long. <laughs> and, I, you know, it just hasn't happened for me yet. I don't have the money for an RV, let's be honest. Right? <laughs> I mean, let's just buy a giant boat and do a drag showboat. Just oh like go God. down <laughs> every round doing drag I'm shows. So down, yeah. <laughs> Although I will say, dancing on a boat is really hard. I mean, I don't dance, so it doesn't. I, okay, I just, that's fair. I'm a park and barker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, hey, if you can serve, my drag mom's always on my ass. She's like, stop dancing so much. And I'm like, it's all I know. <laughs> um, Anytime I've ever mentored a young queen, and they're like, what do I need to do? I'm like, next number you do, stand in the middle of the stage, don't move, make them come to you to tip. And if you can do yeah. that, like, you can do anything in drag. Yeah. and like, Any kind of performing. Okay, so I, um, over the past nine months, have had a slew of injuries that uh, none of which were, I can't say none of which were self-inflicted, but um, <laughs> back in... November, I was doing a tour on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. I was in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. And my last day of my tour, this woman pulled out in front of a car that I was in, (gasps) and we ended up totaling our car. Oh, my God. Um, And I ended up with permanent spine damage. So... I thought I was going to have to quit drag. Like, it was not looking great for me um you know three herniated discs and just you know stuff that i'm going to be dealing with for a lifetime um and so that was just that's just one injury but when i had that injury obviously i came back to work and i can't dance Mm-hmm. So I had to learn. I had to force myself. I'm like, well, you're a ballads bitch now. So <laughs> figure it out. And it was really hard. It was depressing. It made me want to quit drag because it made me feel like everything I was known for, I couldn't do anymore. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, just reinvent yourself. And I'm like, what if I don't want to reinvent myself? What if I was yeah. perfectly happy with who Faye Ludes was, you know? Yeah, completely. Um, So like, you know, thankfully I had months and months of physical therapy and all these things. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent, but I, um, I'm close, you know, like I do have to, you know, take, uh, anti-inflammatories sometimes before a show, or I know afterwards it's going to be an Epsom salt soak and a muscle relaxer, but, um, (laughs) you know, for the most part, I'm grateful that I got my life back because I just, I thought that everything I'd been working on for the, all these years was going to be taken away from me. Yeah. Yeah. And then can I tell you my other quarantine injuries? Yes, absolutely. Please do. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so I, 
I don't know if I believe in past lives, but if there were past lives, apparently I was a real piece of shit in a past life. <laughs> my karma is so bad. And I'm like, I try so hard to be this like nurturing, like, you know, people call me Auntie Faye because I'm so mm-hmm. much older than everyone and they come <laughs> to me for advice and they know that like, I'm going to be real with them and I help everyone. But baby, the world is out to get me. Um, So the first injury was uh, maybe like three weeks to a month into quarantine. Um, I was working on my drag room and I was hanging a, um, like a hanging rack, like a pole at the top of the ceiling. And I was coming down a ladder and there was a um, hammer on the ladder. Oh no. And it fell off the ladder from five feet and broke my toe. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So that was injury number one. Um, And then about a month later, I have low blood pressure. It's something I have to be conscious of because I can get a little woozy. Mm. Um, So this was just a combination of stupidity. It was really hot out. I hadn't eaten enough food. I took a big hit of a joint and all of a sudden I was like, Ooh, no. I was on Facebook Live at the time, too. I was like, ooh, no, I don't feel good. Bitch, I blacked out and hit my head on my fucking uh, kitchen tile and was, like, out cold. (laughs) Yeah. And then third injury happened a week ago tomorrow. Uh, I went for a hike with a friend. I was putting something in the backseat of her car. She wasn't paying attention. She took her foot off the brake and ran my foot over. <gasps> so my foot got That's ran over by a That's one of my biggest ago. fears. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not see it coming. She stopped right on top of my foot, and I had to be like, your back tire is on top of my foot. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What do I do? And I'm like, okay, I'm being calm. I need you to either pull forward or pull backwards. And she did it so fast, it, like, threw my dog across the car. I was just like, ooh, okay, well, um, nothing's broken. Nothing wow. appears to be fractured, I know. Um, I performed the next day um, wearing these hideous platform flat shoes, um, trying not to, like, you know, put my foot in any sort of arch position. Mm-hmm. Um, the top of my foot is, you know, it's bruised. It's, you can see, like, where the bruising is. Um, but you know, your boy is walking around and, um, you know, spent a couple days really babying it with like Epsom salt soaks and Mm -hmm. icing and elevating and all that stuff. And, you know, it seems to be okay. So (laughs) all those things we do in the U S because we don't have good medical care. (laughs) Oh yeah. Everyone's like, go to the doctor. And I was like, L O L (laughs) I'm not going to a doctor. Oh my God. I'm sure I've told the story before, but the first time I was in the UK, my now ex had to go to the emergency room at one point because he thought he was having a really bad allergic reaction. Yeah. And we like, we walked in, he was seen immediately, like barely had to fill out any paperwork, walked in, walked out. It was the craziest thing. And my first comment was, are you sure we don't have to (laughs) like pay a copay or anything before we leave? Like, like, I feel like some transaction yeah. has to happen here. And he's like, yeah. no. And it kind of concerns me that you think there needs to be that. He's <laughs> like, well, welcome to America. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of my Facebook Live fans are from the UK. And like, 
they freak out. They're like, you have to go to the doctor. I'm like, I don't have $10,000. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, that I will be $10,000 in debt for the rest of my life. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I don't, I used, so I used to live in Austria and Germany and you bet your ass, anytime I even looked at something wrong, I was like, go into the doctor. (laughs) It was like the best two years. I was just like, oh yeah, you just go to the doctor, wait it out. They see you within an hour or two. You don't got to pay nothing. And then you leave. Like, (laughs) it was wild to me. Like I said, any minor injury that I had, I was like, let's go. You know, like, oh, I'm coughing. Let's go. So I miss that. Speaking of Austria and Germany, you've moved around, not a lot, but I mean, I think I've moved around a lot. Yeah. You've moved around some and you yeah. have you must have a lot of cool stories as to like why you've moved and all that and like where you've moved. Yeah. So my like craziness of moving a lot started ten years ago yesterday. So ten years ago yesterday I moved to Vienna, Austria. Woo. Um I was in a relationship with someone and they got a job I got them a job there because I wanted to move <laughs> overseas. Um And so, yeah, I spent a year in Austria. I wasn't, I can't say I was like doing much, honestly. Like I was just kind of hanging out, not hanging out. I mean, what am I talking about? I had just written a book and I did like a global book tour and all this stuff. Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't know that about you. (laughs) Yeah. So many things. I know. People are like, you have to write a book. And I'm like, there's like 10 people who would read that book, but. I've done a lot of things. I've been a makeup artist. I owned a bakery. I uh, wrote a book. I uh, Wait, what is this I book done? called? <laughs> okay, so I wrote a book uh, 10 years ago called The Vegan Girl's Guide to Life. Okay. Um, I'm funny looking thing, it up right now. I'm not a girl, but, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, oops. I didn't, I didn't title it. The company did. But basically, it was. Yeah. I had a popular blog at the time, and they were like, we like your voice, your writing voice. Do you want to adapt this into a book? And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, so I wrote this book. I had such a short turnaround. It was crazy. I was in the middle of moving to Austria, like as this was happening. So I was writing this book, like on airplanes, in the backs (laughs) of cars. Like I literally wrote that book on like a T-Mobile sidekick. Like, I um and it is available for Kindle and there's only one copy available on Amazon right now but it looks like you can get it on eBay and a couple other places I hate the Kindle version I was never told it was (laughs) gonna be a Kindle book so my reviews ended up really bad because of the Kindle version and I just wanted to like choke out my editor because I'm like this is a full color book why did you think it was gonna go to Kindle (laughs) 10 years ago (laughs) like and then it was the amazon deal of the day at one point so everybody bought it for kindle and then the reviews just plummeted and i was just like well (laughs) oh it is it's available on barnes and noble i'm just looking to see where it's this book is 10 years old don't buy it (laughs) Um, it it's not that accurate and i didn't see any money from it anyway not much anyway um but you know in the first like year it sold like 10,000 copies like it did really well yeah like 
I did this, like, I did multiple book tours, like, Moby was at my book signing, like, I don't know, it was crazy, like, (laughs) I was, like, partying with, like, Russell Simmons and shit, like, all these, like, (laughs) vegan elites were, like, hanging out with me, I was like, this is fucking weird, um, (laughs) and now no vegans know who I am, and I'm fine with that, but, uh, I am still vegan, I've been vegan for 13 years now, but, uh, it's not, my personality anymore <laughs> you're not what you're I not one of the not my personality oh yeah. my god i i don't think anyone like people give vegans a bad name for it but honestly people who eat meat are just as bad about like when someone's like i'm just gonna get a salad why would you get a salad you could get yeah. meat yeah. i'm a meat eater great good for you <laughs> hooray for you yeah i mean that's the thing it's like are vegans annoying? Yes. But are <laughs> vegans annoying because they are frustrated with like the industrial meat system and the way we treat slaughterhouse workers and all these things like <laughs> they're annoying for the right reasons. They yeah. want to inform you about these injustices. And when you first go vegan, you feel so overwhelmed because you're like, how do people not know this? Yeah. Like the mental health of slaughterhouse workers, it's not just an animal rights issue. It's a human rights issue. Yeah. You know? And so, um, and you know, a good vegan is an intersectional vegan. So it's, it's definitely one of those things when you first go vegan, you feel like a crazy person. Cause you're like, <laughs> I'm living in bizarro world where people are just like slitting cows throats and not giving a fuck about it. And I am here just wanting not to hurt other beings and yeah. people think I'm terrible for that. <laughs> so, you know, I've mellowed out a lot, obviously. I'm not preachy. You know, if people want to know the tea, I will tell you the tea. But I'm not going to chase you down and spin my wheels if you don't give a fuck. Yeah. And I was saying yesterday, I would rather someone just say, I just don't give a fuck. Then someone will go, no, no, don't tell me. Oh, my God, I love animals. I'm like, you love some animals i don't know what to tell you (laughs) You i just don't have it in me you know if you want to hear it i'm not gonna preach to you the information's on the internet figure it out (laughs) that's how i feel about so many things (laughs) oh my god yes yes um so you wrote a book you moved to vienna you were there for a year i was there for a year and then i got offered a job in berlin um working at a vegan bistro um as their pastry chef because i did have a bakery in san francisco before i moved to um to europe so i did a year in berlin i that ended in fucking shambles um no oh my god the owner of this place has fucking nazi ties like (gasps) oh yeah i would have left too (laughs) yeah well it was fucked up too because like my visa was only for that job. So I was being offered jobs elsewhere to get away from mm. this, this Nazi ties situation. But you would, would have had to have reapplied. I would have had to completely visa. reapply for a visa. And I had already been denied twice for a German Ugh. visa. Yeah. Those so things yeah, I just got like, I basically was like, well, I guess I gotta go. Um, so yeah, that was a mess. Um, and so from there I moved to New York. Um, I did, I think I only made it like nine months in New York. Moving from Berlin to New York was not a good choice. Like I can imagine. Oh my God. You know, I had spent two years being able to tune the world out. Cause yes, I can understand German to some extent, but I can also turn my ears off and like, mm-hmm. cause I have to focus to understand 
German. Yeah. So I had all this time to like, I was also going through a divorce in the middle of this. So that was great. Um, so I had all this time to reflect on my life and like, um, you know, next thing I know I'm in, I'm in fucking New York city where I can understand every word people are saying. And mm-hmm. I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't handle it. You know, it was just, I love New York city. I'd always wanted to live there, but then I had all these housing issues. When I got there, I was staying with a friend in Jersey city and then that didn't work out. So I moved to another friend's place. Uh, and then I got a place in Queens briefly and then that didn't work out. So then I moved into Gramercy park at another friend's place. And then I got kicked out of that after a couple months. So like I was homeless at times I was couch hopping. It was just me, 10 boxes and my dog, like, (laughs) (laughs) like trying to survive and then when i finally settled down in a place that i liked i ended up meeting someone in california (laughs) and being like i don't know i think i just gotta go home (laughs) you know so I, i went back to san francisco um so yeah i went back to the bay area um and was there for about four years four years and then i moved to chicago so and i've been here for four years now so nice in the last 10 years i've you know i went san francisco to vienna to berlin to new york to san francisco to chicago (laughs) i mean you do what you gotta do to find that place where you feel comfortable yeah, I mean, don't even get me started. Even when I went back for like four or five years, I was like, I was like San Francisco, then Berkeley, then back in San Francisco, you know, like I bounced all over the place <laughs> within the Bay Area too. Like even in Chicago in the four years I've lived here, I've lived in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places in four years. Oh my God yeah (laughs) well i mean some of us (laughs) some of us just have restless spirits like i'm the same way i've yeah moved at least once a year for the last almost 10 years yeah Uh, including i mean i guess i'm including college in there called college and grad school where like i would have to move out for the summer and move into a new place but still you're packing up all your stuff and totally moving it around and then after grad school i was all over the place and i was couch surfing for like six to eight months and i was Mm -hmm. doing all that kind of stuff and i think what i've come to terms with is the fact that that i just have a restless soul that likes to move even if like my mind and my hates like, moving. My consciousness yeah. hates oh. it and I'm so tired of it. But there's me always so. something inside me that if I'm in any place for longer than a year, I'm like, why am I still here? When do I get yeah. to go to the next place? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> me being in Chicago for four years now, people are like, damn, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I really like Chicago. I do. I don't think it's my permanent spot. Mm. um I do see myself leaving at the end of the year um but that's four and a half years in one spot you know that means I liked it because a lot of places (laughs) by by like six months nine months I was like yo we're getting out of here (laughs) like oh yeah I don't want to be here so New York definitely got to that point like I had that honeymoon period of like oh my god the state building oh wow it's Washington Square Park right and then, like, four months in, I was like, oh, oh, shit. 
<laughs> I have to oh ride the train for an hour and a half to get to work each way. And then, and then the weather sucks that I hate humidity. And then everything just piles on top. all the time. <laughs> yeah. When I lived in New York, I was like, do your feet ever stop hurting? Is that a thing? I finally got new shoes and my feet stopped hurting, but that was when I was like actually going to the gym like every day pre-pandemic and like would walk 30 blocks because I was like, eh, I don't want to pay for the subway. Yeah. Me right now, I'm sitting, do I want to, I'm thinking, do I want to walk two blocks to the grocery store later for dinner food? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I also... When I lived in New York was like, well, I'm very fashionable, so we won't be wearing ugly shoes. <laughs> so right. I was just willing. Well, I was also poor, so I couldn't afford good shoes either. I know that feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had a, some good experiences in New York, but I also suffered a lot in New York and I just think the timing wasn't right. And I feel like, you know, the first few months I was like, oh my God. I'm an independent person living in New York City. I'm incredible. And then, you know, when I'm running across four lanes of traffic with my laundry to get to the laundromat, I was like, I fucking hate this. (laughs) I'm miserable. No one told me that the song that said, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, but if you can barely scrape by here, then you'll feel great anywhere (laughs) else. If you can suffer there, you'll you'll feel like a, a millionaire. (laughs) living their best life anywhere else i will Um, say the one thing that new york makes me feel like happy about is not having to own a car and being able to get mm, everywhere fairly easily yeah but like yeah at the same time do i really like sitting in subway cars not particularly no 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 and then your phone doesn't even work underground right (laughs) Then I would just use praying, like, like, underground time to answer emails and then when I got above ground like send them all you yeah. know like or like I you, should have been you reading hope, a book right I, that's when I listen to podcasts mostly I'm like sitting there and oh, just that's like smart. yeah or I'll like work on music that I'm um, practicing to lip sync to or whatever but god if I wasn't yeah if I would have been a drag queen when I lived in New York I think it would have gone very differently oh yeah I don't know if I would have made it, honestly. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Even, it's, I don't... <laughs> it's a weird city. It's a very weird city. It's like six cities all crammed into one. Yes. And each of those cities is like 10 cities in and of themselves. That New York drag hustle is crazy. It's insane. I, like Chicago's competitive, <laughs> but New York? Get the fuck out of here. Absolutely not. But I also feel like New York, like Chicago, you know, if you can find... You know, in Chicago, some of the most successful performers have been people who didn't go the traditional route and went and found a venue that would support them. Yeah. It wasn't about, like, being cool. Oh, how do I, like, look, Chicago's had a shakeup recently. <laughs> Just a and, little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. And, like, the one thing that I, can you still hear me? Yeah. The one thing that I was very happy about was that, you know, when I first started Chicago Drag, I tried to be cool with the cool kids. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the other path I could go down where I could, like, work consistently and just be my own person and not spend all my time trying to impress other drag queens. Yep. And that's the path I went down. Yep. And it's it's not for everyone, but it worked out very well for me. That's – I'm – 
I'm so proud that it that it worked out for you and that you were able to find that power and that strength to do that because <laughs> I'm really bad I'm really bad at playing the game and I oh, yeah I don't like going the traditional route and I don't like sucking up to people that yeah, yeah. honestly don't deserve to be sucked up to sometimes yeah. um and I'm definitely the kind of person that when I see those doors close. I just kind of shut down and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take a break for a while and do stuff. Yeah. So yeah, more power to you spend, for doing that. <laughs> I'm not that person that when I see I'm not wanted somewhere, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to prove myself. I'm like, mm -mm. nah, I'm going to go find somewhere where I'm wanted. I'm yeah. going to find somewhere where I'm valued, but like not only because it's going to make like for my own mental health, you know, yeah. just to be like, I'm not going to spin my wheels for these assholes who don't care about me. The two people who got taken down in Chicago, both were fucking terrible to me. So yeah. when, when they got taken down, I had so many people in my inbox, like, do you feel validated? Do you feel vindicated? <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, I didn't need their, I had decided I didn't want their acceptance a while mm -hmm. ago, but is it nice to see everyone else realize that, that like these people are assholes? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, I definitely know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Don't get me started on the rumors that were spread about me and all this bullshit where it's like, and these were not even people I was working with. I was working yeah. at a club completely across town and I'm just like, why is my name even in your mouth? I'm over here doing my own thing. I don't talk mm -hmm. about you. I have nothing to do with you. Are you mad that my success was not through you? Yeah. Because most people's success in Chicago is through you. Yeah. Like do you just not like that I was able to become a full-time drag queen without your approval? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to you, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I've a lot always... of my, a lot of my issues in Seattle were, I got my first hosting gig three months into doing drag and it was because yeah. I showed up at the bar every week and I was friends yep. with the people that worked there. And I, Honestly, I tipped well. I enjoyed being there. It was an environment I always wanted to be in, so I made sure yeah. to go often. And then when a, a hosting spot opened up because one of the queens moved, they were like, well, you're always here. Do you want to have a show? I yeah. was by no means the best queen. I've looked back at some of those videos, and I was <laughs> not that great, either makeup-wise or performance-wise. But I was there, and I liked those people, and they liked me. Yeah. And so I got a gig hosting three months into doing drag and yeah. all of a sudden I couldn't get booked at any other bar. And I was yep. like, what, what's going on here? And that's it was, similar to my Mary's story. For oh, sure. it's so crazy. Yeah. And you know, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Cause you're just like, what did I do wrong? I did the exact same thing that any of you would do if you were yeah. given this opportunity. Absolutely. Like, I don't I don't understand the idea of like first off no baby queen ever comes into the community saying I'm going to take this girl's job. Yeah, yeah. No baby queen has ever thought that. I mean there's a few that have, are probably that delusional but it's a rare case. It's a rare case and they're easy to spot. Like yes. they're very oh, easy yeah. to spot. They get weeded out quick. Everyone else it's like why are you fucking jealous of someone who's been doing drag for a few months who's just a hard worker and is having fun and like working at a place that you never wanted to work at yes you know a big <laughs> thing so i've been hosting let's make a diva which is a weekly competition at um the chicago hamburger mary's and 
I, I ended up there because I won it when it was a monthly competition. And then when they started going to a weekly format, I noticed they were having issues getting enough people to um, compete. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm a baby queen and I won last year. So if you let me co-host, I'll make sure you have enough performers every week to compete because you, the host, don't know the babies and I know the babies. So I'll yeah. bring my babies. And so like the pay was terrible. I was getting paid $25 for two numbers. Like nobody was coming to the yeah. show. I'd make like $4 in tips. The bartenders would tip me because they felt bad for me. <laughs> but within three or four months, the show director who was also the restaurant manager was so overwhelmed that at times she'd be like, can you just host the show this week? Instead of co-hosting, I'd get to host it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And eventually she left Mary's and I was like, what's going to happen to Let's Make a Diva? And she's like, bitch, it's yours. Like, you're the one who's been nurturing this for all yeah. this time. And so for me, I was able to see the long game as a baby queen mm -hmm. and say, like, this place, although maybe it's not the most respected venue in Chicago, it has a consistent audience. They mm -hmm. tip well. Well, not on Tuesdays or Thursdays <laughs> was when that show was. But, like, you know, eventually that show, we were turning people away at the door. Yeah. Like eventually that show was so packed that like people couldn't get in. So, you know, I very much built that show, but I also did the show for no fucking money when I didn't have a lot of stage time under my belt because I knew I was going to grow from it. And I saw that the potential of becoming a regular there and getting the better paid gigs was very real. Yeah. You know, I knew that that, the um the person in charge of booking there was super busy and sometimes would be booking these shows a day before the show mm -hmm. so if i was there i could be like i'm available you know yeah. and so i could get a brunch booking and make a bunch of money and it made that 25 dollars terrible booking worth it because yep. you know here i am making 200 dollars on a sunday so yeah you know i just i think a lot of people don't look at the long game they oh, yeah, no, wanna, absolutely not. Yeah, they want to be the most popular in the scene, and they're not looking at the longevity of it. I think the other thing is being AFAB, I knew that I couldn't be on RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. So I'm not some twink who comes in and is like, I'm going to be on Drag Race, you know? That <laughs> opportunity like, is not... Ex yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that opportunity is not extended to me. So I had to work differently. Yeah. You know, and I had to to look at what my goals really were. Mm -hmm. But okay, now I just remember my point of this. Um the <laughs> ADD is real. Um <laughs> I tell all these baby queens who do my show because I have one of the only shows that queens and kings under 21 can do. Mm, so awesome. a lot of my competitors are between 18 and 20. Okay. And I've I've even let some like 16 and 17 year olds every once in a while not yeah. really supposed to but you know every once in a while i'm like all right you, you seem like a good egg you can come through yeah. um you know and i've given a lot of babies like their debut performances and things like that like do you know who becky essence hall is yes Kata's i do i was i've was actually looking at her twitter page earlier today <laughs> so i gave her her first gig oh you know so there's all these people that like I was able to extend. I mean, yeah, it was a tip spot, but like she'd never, she'd only performed at like a LGBTQ center and like nobody was there, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like, come to a real show. Yeah, um, yeah. But I tell them, I'm like, look, 
these people you're competing against today are the decision makers of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The people who are in this room are eventually going to get hosting gigs. They're going to get booking gigs. You can't look at them as your competition. Like Mm -hmm. this show, while it's nice to win, this show is an opportunity for you to find like-minded people and basically form alliances that can carry you through your entire drag career. Oh, fully. I mean, I know when I'm booking a show, yeah, I always try to, to, um, send messages to people that I've never um, gotten to actually perform with or I'm not friends with. But when it comes down to the wire and I'm like three days out from the show and I still have a spot to fill, yeah. I know I have like 10 to 12 people that I can speed dial and say, Hey, I know you're dependable. Yeah. You want to be, I know, in the you, show. I know you'll turn it, come through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's all about networking. Yeah. For sure. But the real kind of networking, not the like kissing ass. Social climbing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the real tea. Like a lot of people I've seen who got popular use social climbing to get popular. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, when that person that you climb to in that position of power is no longer in that position of power, will you still have that social status? Who knows? Well, it's always about to find that out. Yeah, it's always really tenuous because you never even know, like, sure, that well-established queen may decide that you're usable enough to them. But at some point, there will come a point where they're like, oh, I can't use this queen anymore. Yeah. She's not in the group anymore. Like, that's all TL shade. That's happened to me multiple times. And that's why I don't care anymore because I've tried to ally myself with those well-established queens and I've tried to suck up to people before and it it works for like three to three to six months and then at the end of that they're like well I can't control you so it's not worth my time or like I just got to change it up yeah exactly this flavor of the week's done (laughs) absolutely absolutely I mean let's be honest popular bookers run through people you know you and I've seen it so many times in drag where someone gets to ride a wave for like you said, three to six months, mm-hmm. and then they're nowhere to be found because they didn't build anything for themselves in that time. Yeah, All of their success was on the back of someone else. And when that person's not feeding you anymore, how do you eat? Yeah, you know? exactly. And I also, I mean, I acknowledge that a lot of my success is because I got into Hamburger Mary's at the right time. And mm-hmm. when there's no more Mary's, like, I'm not going to have a ton, you know? Yeah. But, um but I feel like I've also done right by a lot of people and, and been supportive and generous to others. And, well, yeah. you know, and there's I, a difference. I just hope it comes back to me. Yeah. And there's a difference between finding a stable work environment and using someone's popularity to yourself get popular. Like yeah, what absolutely. you did was you found a place where you were comfortable. They liked you. You knew you could have a steady gig and you were yeah. able to use that to build your name and to build your brand and to be able to, um, get and build up to, other people. Yeah, exactly. And to the point where now, even if that wasn't there, you can go on tours to the UK, you can go yes. yeah. around the, the country and find places to perform. Yeah. For That's sure. This RV thing, important. I'm very serious about it. <laughs> Do I it. Really I want to see that. Please make it like an online reality show. Or not reality show, but just like... Do I need to switch to like a YouTube it. channel or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Like I've literally spent the entire five months in quarantine researching these Toyota RVs. Cause like yes. Toyotas run forever. Yeah. And they made these mini RVs that no one cares about this, but I do. Um, I care. I'm so excited right now. I love it. They're between 19 and 21 feet. So they fit in a regular parking spot. Yeah. They have a full size bed. They have a full kitchen. They have a shower. uh, They have a. That's amazing. They have everything just really condensed. Yeah. So. I'm ready to grab my dog and hit the fucking road. Like, if this car accident settlement is what I'm hoping it's going to be, baby, (laughs) we are buying an RV. Like, is it responsible? Probably not. But are we doing it? I mean, it can be really responsible because then you don't have to worry. Like, in this day and age, you don't need a steady address, honestly, yeah. You don't need to have a landline telephone anymore. Like yeah. everything is everything is mobile. So like why the fuck not? Yeah. I mean in my mind they're not they're not cheap because they're Toyotas and like they can mm-hmm. run forever like But it's an investment. A, a good one starts at 10 grand, but you I could also literally drive it for a year and sell it for the same amount I bought it for. And yeah. that's kind of my thought like I'm sure after a year, I'm not going to want to be living in an RV anymore, yeah. you know? I and mean, so and maybe... 10 grand is about the same as, like, a year's worth of rent. So Exactly. Like... Exactly. So that's my <laughs> thought. Like, if I can really make this work, I would love to buy one of these RVs, like, live in it for a year, you know, throw my shit in storage, but, like, mm-hmm. be able to come back to that storage and switch out costumes and things <laughs> like that, you know, and wigs. Because you can't, like, really overload the RV, oh, yeah. you know? Um, and then just spend a year on the road. And I don't know, maybe I find a new home that I love. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe a community embraces me. And I'm like, shit, I want to move here, you know? I don't, I don't know. Like, it gives me a year of utilizing those contacts I've made across the U.S. Um, yeah. To get to perform different places. Like, I'm very much that person where, like, my book tour was very much, like, I'm here to sell enough books to have a nice meal and get to the next place. Yep. I'm not here to make a fortune. I'm here (laughs) to have a good time and get my necessities taken care of. Oh, yeah. So I feel like I would be really good at RV life. So (laughs) if I can, I'm really sad because there's one that came up in Chicago this week for only $6,000. Um, and it's the model you want because it's fiberglass so they don't leak. Mm. And the guy stopped answering me. Oh no. Um, I know. Not that I have six thousand dollars, but I'm supposed to get my settlement like this week or next. So I was like trying to time it, you know? Yeah. Like, what if I have an RV? <laughs> like, um, like next week. My neighbors are gonna hate it, but I'm gonna love it. So <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, maybe it's not my time yet. I wasn't really planning on hitting the road until like December or January. So Mm. I have time. I have time. You know, I get the settlement. I put it in a a savings account, leave it alone. Yeah. Maybe get a little Botox. But, um, you know, and then, then, you know, just keep looking until the right rig comes along, you know? So, yeah, your boy got plans. (laughs) I've been talking about for years. When I was a vintage clothing seller, I tried the same thing. When I got laid off from my job four and a half years ago in San Francisco, my partner at the time, I was like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy an <laughs> RV 
and we're going to drive across the country to all the places where I have friends that own businesses. And we're just going to park in front of their business and do a vintage pop-up. And they were like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. I mean, that's how I moved to New York. I started in Seattle and I grabbed my, my now roommate Gina Tonic and was like, guess what? We're doing a cross country tour. Yes. And we're just going to perform at a whole bunch of different cities. And we I got a U-Haul that. and I took all my stuff across the country. Yeah. I mean, it's how no, you do absolutely. it. It's great. Everyone should do it at least once in their lives. I don't know I if mean, I could do it again, but yeah. <laughs> everyone should do I it mean, at least once. I mean, getting in the car and being in the car for a long time is exhausting. I mean, I am excited that like, if I do get this RV, it's like a whole house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I... The, the thrill of performing in places other than where you are based mm. is so major too. Cause yeah. like, let's be honest, like they're excited. You're fresh meat, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you get there and they're excited. You're there. You're excited. You're there. They haven't seen you do the same five numbers you do back <laughs> in Chicago <laughs> or wherever yep. you're from. So everything to them is exciting and new and you get treated really fucking well. Oh yeah. You know? I've never had a bad experience traveling and performing. Never ever. I've had a couple that were a little weird because I don't disclose my assigned birth gender because I don't mm. think it's relevant. Yeah, it's and not. And I've done it's not. But I've done a couple deep south shows where they heard my voice and they were like, uh and I was like, <laughs> Yes. And they were like are you a woman? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and they're like, uh, you sound like real fish. And I'm like, uh, well, I was assigned female at birth, but like, that's not what I am, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then they're like very suspicious of me. The rest of them, they're like, hmm, that's weird. It's so you know? Well, I mean, you got to remember, I'm, you know, this is, this is like Alabama. You know, still like, oh, I agree. But, you know, I'm not making excuses, but I also understand that there's still a lot of places that are just now allowing things like female entertainers and they're still calling them bio queens and they're, you know, and they, you know, they still think they're cheating and they still think they're straight women who are coming just to steal jobs from gay men. Like, you know, oh my God, excuse me while I go bang my head against the wall. I mean, same. <laughs> but, you know, I do... Okay, I, I will say this. I'm 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So I came out as bisexual around 1994 or 5. Okay. It was rough. <laughs> it is yeah. a rough time. I was visibly queer. I had, like, a Chelsea cut. Like, <laughs> I was wearing combat boots. I dressed yes. like a bucket. I dressed like a dyke. Like, like I black and brown lipstick forever. Oh yeah. Like I, it was weaponized against me a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of slurs thrown at me in high school and like, you know, but I also understand that like people from my generation and people from earlier, we fought so that the newer generations don't have to feel the pain that we felt. Yeah. But I can understand as an older queer person that sometimes as happy as you are for younger queer people to get to live authentically, it does sting a little that you mm-hmm. had to go through the turmoil. You had yeah. to lose your friends to AIDS. You had to, you know, everything, your existence was illegal. Yeah. So I try really hard as someone who's literally right in between 
you know, mm-hmm. being the age that I am. Like coming out in the 90s was near, not nearly as bad as like the 70s or 80s, but it still yeah. sucked. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, did I get called faggot and dyke every day? Yeah, I did. Mm. You know, did I have to defend myself? Yeah, I did. You know, maybe not every day, but it fucking felt like it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I try to have empathy. I try to see where older queer people are coming from. You know, when they freak out and they're like, I don't get all these pronouns and blah, blah, blah. You yeah. know, I try to take a step back and say, we literally fought for this. Yeah. This is why these kids are getting to fully explore themselves and be accepted because we took the brutality of it. And is it fair? No, of course it's not. But aren't you happy that queer youth are, are getting to live authentically? Aren't you happy mm. that they're getting to be who they are? My first drag child literally was because I was performing in Denver and this 13-year-old little girl, literally little girl, came to my show in full drag, had a name and everything, had never performed, and was like a fangirl of mine. And basically, I asked her. She came with her her dad and her stepmom and her little sister. And we just were like, do you want to do a number? And she was like, what? And we're like, yeah, do you want to perform? And she did her little number. She did some death drops and her fan thwacks and everything, you know, and she was an out lesbian drag queen at 13 years old. I love that. And I just started crying because I couldn't handle knowing that, you know, 13, 14 is when I really started to realize that I was not straight. Mm -hmm. Like getting to see someone living authentically just hit me right in the fucking feels and i was just so grateful that her parents would bring her to this show in drag and let her be a lesbian and like not let her be but you know accept her for that and not try to change her in any way it just touched me so deeply that i was like do you want me to be your drag mom like i fully (laughs) i fully lost it then I found out she got like five fucking drag moms, but she's still my kid. And like, yeah, yeah. you know, it just, she's what, 16 now? Yeah, she's six, like 16 now. Um, she was 13 or 14 when I met her. She's, but she's one of my little, one of my little darlings. And, Love that. Um, I just, you know, it, it made me feel validated in the pain I felt as a queer person. Mm in the past to see someone getting to live authentically, you know? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's the, that's something that frustrates me a lot is that I, I mean, I grew up homeschooled. I grew up very closeted. I didn't come out until my last two years of college. And then it was even okay. only to a couple people Mm-hmm. So like I didn't say in public, I didn't say the words I'm gay until my last semester of grad school. So in 2014. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I, the thing that I feel most robbed of um, is that we don't, at least nowadays, like sure there are still LGBTQ community centers and things like that, but people Mm -hmm. don't really go to them very often. And we don't have that communication between the generations of queer people. Yeah. And a lot of that is because we lost a lot of those, that 
the last generation back in the 90s. And so it's hard to get, I see a lot of that bitterness happening and I see a lot of that, like, well, why aren't we still fighting? Why aren't we doing these things? Why aren't we doing this or that? And Mm -hmm. it's because it's because there's that huge divide between the generations and each generation is jealous of the other for one way or in one way or the other. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I love young people and I just really encourage them to try to connect with queer elders and Mm. like, even just to learn the history of your own community and, and like try to better understand, like, yeah, do they need to get their shit together and figure out pronouns and all that stuff? Yeah, of course they do. But, you know, they literally could be arrested just for going to a gay bar. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you got to remember, like, it's going to take them time. And some of them are going to be more receptive to it than others. And, like, is that a good thing? I don't know. You know, like, it is frustrating when someone doesn't want to take that leap. But it's also their right not to take that leap. So, yeah. You know, I just, I try to have empathy for people um, and see where they're coming from. I mean, obviously, if they just pull some bigoted shit, like, goodbye. But, like, (laughs) if they seem like they're coming from a place of wanting to understand, then, Mm -hmm. you know, I will take the time to explain that to them, you know? Um, I actually feel much like you, where I kind of had this very stunted coming out, like, I grew up in a very religious household, like evangelical Christians went to church twice a week. Mm -hmm. You know, when I say I came out in the, in the nineties, it wasn't to my family. It was to like my friends, you know? Um, And, you know, I grew up hearing about how homosexuals were going to hell and all these things. And so I had so much self-loathing and Mm -hmm. hatred for myself around that and fear where I pushed myself back towards heterosexuality so many times you know at 17 I basically met this man that I ended up like marrying like a few years later and staying with for 13 years and we would fight about me being gay like you know he he knew I was he knew me as bisexual but he would be like I saw you looking at that woman I know you're gay you know it was like something that I had a lot of shame around Mm. and so you know, when we split, I was 29 and had never slept with a woman. And so, I mean, obviously that's what I went out and did. And I was like, yeah. oh, nice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but I also found myself retreating. Like they call it compulsive heterosexuality. Um, yeah. My fear, my internalized misogyny, my fear of acceptance my upbringing where I was taught these things were a sin, even though I didn't necessarily believe those things, that guilt was overwhelming. And so I found myself turning back to dating men over and over and not wanting to getting Mm -hmm. into these relationships and being like, this person is lovely, but like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) You know, I wasn't dating terrible guys, Mm -hmm. but ultimately you know, things would start out really good and they'd always cool off, especially sexually, because Mm -hmm. I just was thinking about women, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) um, you know, even before I was married, like I always was only watching lesbian porn. So it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, at some point you have to take a fucking hint and like, you know, it really 
in a way was drag and just constantly being around queer people mm. that forced me to stop shying away from it. Yeah. You know, I also think that a lot of it was like my fear of dying alone. You know, I'm such a niche person, you know, I was a punk rocker and I'm vegan and I used to be this like 1960s like replica of a human <laughs> where I was go-go dancing and DJing in San Francisco clubs and like, you know, I've always been this very niche person, you know, mm -hmm. I had this massive, I was a DJ who was, you know, DJing all 60s vinyl and like all these things, you know, I love that. so like when I look for a partner, I don't have a lot in common yeah. with other queer people. Mm. You know, I don't listen to top 40. And obviously that's not every queer person, but like, I don't listen to top 40. I don't want to go hiking. I don't want to drive a fucking Subaru. <laughs> like there's all these like cliche lesbian things that people fall into. So I just, it's, it's been hard for me to connect with people. And so over the past 10 years, I have stopped dating men and been like, no, this is it. I'm done. I'm just going to date women. And I go for like six months and I don't connect to anyone. And that fear of dying alone creeps in. Mm -hmm. And then I find some guy who's like a feminist, who's like loving and sweet. And I have things in common with, and I'm just like, well, you don't want to <laughs> die alone, you know? And yeah. I end up in a relationship. And like I said, these are wonderful people. You know, my most recent ex is a man and he is one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. But that's basically what happens. I'm in these like best friend relationships with people who I love deeply, but I don't want to be with them because they're yeah. a man, yeah. you know? And so it's, I feel like I've wasted so much of my life for in one way, you know, I don't give a fuck what other people say. And I've obviously gone out and done so many things that people would be scared to do. But then in other ways, I haven't fully accepted myself at times and allowed myself to fall into situations that I knew weren't going to work. Yeah. You know, so and I think as a queer person, it's it's really easy to have a lot of like inner turmoil and conflict because while it is much easier when I came out, it wasn't. And you hold on to that shit, you know? Yeah. Like 30 years ago, getting called fag and dyke and having people throw stuff out of their cars at me, you know? Like, do, you, do I want to go back to that life? Of course not. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of mental gymnastics. It's a lot of, um, you know, I'm at the point now where, like, the, this is terrible, but the thought of, having sex with a cis man repulses me. <laughs> so I think, you know, I think we're like pretty well, uh, you know, it's, it's signed, sealed, delivered at this point, but, uh, you know, but the fear is still there, you know, but mm -hmm. I also can't change that. I've finally just been like, bitch, <laughs> you are not attracted to cis men. Just stop. Yeah. Stop caring what your parents think. You stopped caring. Like they've never accepted who you were yeah. and they're clearly not going to. <laughs> so like, you know, I don't want kids. I don't want a white picket fence. I don't want any of that stuff. So why am I trying to like put a square peg in a round hole? Like it's fucking yeah. stupid. Like, <laughs> just stop. I turned 40 in six months. Like just, you know, I've been living 80% authentically most of my life. Like mm. just go a hundred percent. Yeah. 
just do it. So yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made a deal with myself on New Year's Eve this last year. I've I've stopped I've stopped with like New Year's resolutions and stuff because yeah. they never work. But and I then made you it, feel bad about yourself. And then you yes. feel bad and then it's just guilt for the rest of the year. But yep. I made a deal with myself that I wanted people to know that I was queer anytime I left my house. Like just yes. something about me. I just want people to know like I'm tired I lived in this weird mask for mask cisgender fantasy for Mm. so long that I was just like you know what I don't care anymore I don't I I want people to know who I am and I want to like I finally re-dyed my hair orange I have a freaking ponytail I like yeah I wear yoga pants and I wear more feminine clothing and stuff like that all the time and yeah I think it's such a freeing thing when we allow ourselves to just, I mean, it sounds cliche, but let our freak flag fly. Just like, yeah. let, let it hang out. And you, the good thing about it is, you know, quickly whether or not someone's going to accept it. Yeah. And yep. it'll, it helps you figure out, really fast who you want around you <laughs> absolutely yeah it helps and I think that's a navigate. blessing I agree I agree and that's the thing it's like that's what's so frustrating to me is because like I've kind of always let my freak flag fly that's hard to say <laughs> um but there was always that one puzzle piece that I just didn't mm-hmm. stick in the puzzles so, yeah yeah I'm really I mean I got a much gayer haircut recently and it's and, fabulous and thank you I'm loving my 70s Elton John mullet and <laughs> so are the ladies Perfect. So, yeah yeah I actually um like tweeted a while ago like like I thanked my friend who cut it. I was like, apparently all I needed to get some pussy was a fucking gayer haircut. Who knew? <laughs> like, thank you. Thanks for the haircut. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, speaking yeah. of social media, where can people find you online? All right. Well, it's Faludes, like the drug Quaaludes. Um <laughs> Yep, I'm a very like 60s, 70s retro bitch. Um, so my um I'm like thinking, I'm like my Instagram is just Fayludes, F-A-Y-L-U-D-E-S. Um, I also have a Facebook like fan page where I do a lot of Facebook lives. Um, that's also just Fayludes. Um, my Twitter is Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-E-R. Um, which is my human name. Um, but if you look up <laughs> Faludes, you'll still find me. Uh, I think that's it. What else? What else are? What else are we on these days? I don't thing? even know anymore. I I constantly forget what social media I have, and then each day I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I do have that one. I should check right? that one. <laughs> and I don't have Snapchat. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> that was one I could never get into. Oh my god, I had it when it first came out. It was fun, like. This was like 10 years ago, y'all. Y'all are still using that? (laughs) I also had TikTok briefly because I was getting paid to be on TikTok. Same. Yes, but I got banned because my drag mom came on alive with her breastplate sticking out and they thought it was real titties and they banned me. And I had over 10,000 followers. Oh no, I don't remember how many followers I had, but I had to threaten to sue them to get paid. So I... Oh yes, canceled a lot my of people account. Went through that, yeah, fairly yeah. soon after that. Anyway, um, I'll put all of that information in the description <laughs> box. Cool. 
um, as well as the podcast and my personal information will also be in the description box. Thank you so, so, so much for sitting down with me today. It was great to finally get to talk to you again. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. Hopefully some will find my strange ramblings uh, (laughs) interesting. I thought they were interesting. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. And that's it for today's podcast. Thank you again. And we will see you all later. Bye. Yeah. 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 Thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Yeah.